No, that's, that's disconcerting. It's very disconcerting. Yeah. Look, this, this ended up being the Byron Buxton show. And <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be a top 100 fantasy option this season. is the Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. Here are your hosts, Tristan Cockroft and Eric Carabell. Hi there. Welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning, February 27th, 2019. It's our last show of February. And then March, the games start to count. I am Eric. He is Tristan. And along for the ride with us today, we've got awesome researcher slash producer again, Kyle Sapi, and of course, our courageous editorial watchdog, Leo Howell, as well. Uh, Tristan, the games, the fake games have started. <laughs> and I've been watching. Have you been watching the spring training games? I have, yeah. I mean, how could you miss Fernando Tatis's laser home run? That was a shot. It really was. It was good. Yeah. Of course. And he was down 0-2 in that be, count initially. He won't be in the majors in April, but that's a separate issue altogether. Um, we'll discuss, uh, maybe we'll discuss that. We'll discuss the other top rookie who's not going to be in the majors right away. And his uh, GM says he's not ready for the majors. He's only 19, whatever that means. <laughs> We have injuries, we have signings, we have somebody who still hasn't signed, and a little bit later on, a huge announcement for the show, and of course, the awesome Hash Browns. Here is the buzz. All right, uh, biggest news today in fantasy baseball. Tristan, I'll give you three options. We haven't dealt with Manny Machado, which happened about five minutes after our last show. Yeah. Uh, we could deal with Nolan Arenado, Clayton Kershaw, yeah. Byron Buxton, what do you like? What's the biggest? I think Clayton Kershaw is the biggest. All right, so let's start there. Um, I wrote about him on Monday morning, and then Monday afternoon, the Dodgers gave us even more reason to be concerned. I moved him out of my top 10 starting pitchers, but still, I think, number 14. And I'm questioning that. Should I question that? Yep. Uh, I took him to 20. I questioned 20. that. 20. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for 20 is I'll throw James Paxton and I'll throw Steven Strasburg out there as why are we any more slash less concerned about, you know, these two relative to Kershaw? Uh, same general question. Now, Kershaw, yeah, when he's been healthy over the past five years, has been better than those guys. But it's not by leaps and bounds. They've both been productive. And the important thing is the two of them are healthy today. There aren't questions about the shoulder. And this shoulder issue, I mean, the fact that this is coming up at this stage of spring training before we even get into the grind of the 162-game schedule is a major red flag to me. I don't like guys like this who go through spring training where they have their entire throwing program set off. So I, I've got major questions. I, I'm wondering whether 20 isn't a conservative enough rating ranking. Yeah, no, I think it's, that's fair to be concerned. I'm looking at your rankings now. Uh, so I did mine on Monday morning. Um, you obviously did yours more recently. So basically you're saying if you're in a draft right now, you would take Mike Clevenger over Clayton Kershaw. Yes. And Strasburg and Paxton. Right, and that, that I will say with confidence. I would take all of these guys that I ranked ahead of him okay. without a doubt ahead of Kershaw. That's the point at which I'm thinking strongly about taking him and hoping that this is – just a minor setback, but I, I feel like you can make the case that if, if the next week or two weeks go perfectly, maybe he springs back to 10 to 12, he could drop out of my top 40 overnight with bad news. I'm not sure any information now would make me feel better. I mean, obviously, we want him to be ready for opening day, but 
he's averaged what 25 starts over the past three seasons you're right we i've been saying this for a couple of years now nobody's been listening to me we don't treat him like strasburg basically because the numbers are so much better the numbers are just elite even last year now last year was not his best year in fact wasn't his era last year like the worst it had been in like six years or something like that yeah 273 era 104 whip which is amazing but it was his worst in a while and this is going to be interesting something to follow over the next couple of weeks um, any other injuries before we move on to the other side? I think Carlos Martinez is kind of interesting as yes. well. How far did you drop the Cardinals uh, right-hander? Uh, I dropped him a considerable amount, and I'm actually much I, – I'm, I'm more concerned about Carlos Martinez because of what this could do to his role. Uh, I worry that the Cardinals aren't going to get him to a point that they're comfortable ramping him up for the rotation and having known that he pitched effectively as a relief pitcher last year and with their relief core currently a little – up in the air in terms of the roles, I wonder whether they're going to ramp him up to try and get him ready for a relief role at this stage. So there's downside just based on the volume he could give you, especially if he's not a closer. This team is talking about going with a committee-style bullpen, so saves might not be assured for any one member of the Cardinals' bullpen. Uh, I think I had him 67th among starting pitchers. And let me let me give you the exact Yeah, pointers. no, he's 69 on your list. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you have him after Alex Reyes, who I think is even less likely to make starts. Um, but that's interesting. You, that you really are down on Martinez. I probably have him in the forties, but I, maybe that's not enough. Um, you know, you mentioned the saves. There's a bunch of teams right now that either don't have a closing situation settled or have managers saying they're going to a committee. Even managers who don't even know what that means. Like mm-hmm. Ned Yost doesn't really understand why people like us say anybody can close. He doesn't really believe that. But right. he's going to do that, he claims. It's not going to be essentially be Brad Boxberger. Um, Arizona could do that. The Cubs in the, in the wake of Morrow. A lot of interesting stuff coming out of Cubs camp. They seem really angry, Cubs players and management. And it's not just about like what they're predicting. I think Pakoda and Baseball Perspectives had a predicted for fifth place. It's not just that. Like John Lester saying, well, I don't care about you nerds saying that my K rate's down or that I'm giving up home runs. You're just, you're idiots. I won 18 games. Like, you saw that, right? Yep. Like, yeah. he's clearly trending in the bad direction, but he doesn't want to hear it from people who are right. Um, I think there's some frustration going on across all of Cubs land or whatever about the, the, the chatter about the financial, financial situation of the team that they don't have money to spend on free agents. And I think that's kind of casting a little bit of a shadow over everything involved with the Cubs. But yeah, you know, the bullpen's a major question for them. By the way, to just the, the, um, when you mentioned Yost, I think that managers throw that word out there about committees, and really what they're talking about is simply a spring battle. I don't know about that, Tristan. I, I think in a couple of these cases, they might just do what Gabe Kapler did last year, which is, you know, until then let's break them down. Give me, give me. The, I mean, I, I'd agree with you in cases like Baltimore, where I don't know that it necessarily matters. I think in KC's situation, I think they're trying to keep it open for a competition. I think Arizona might be leaning more towards competition than a true committee. It could be. I mean, I don't know why Archie Bradley just wouldn't get the job, but I think he wants Greg Holland to win the job. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what, what mm-hmm. Arizona wants. Mm-hmm. Baltimore, I don't think there's any need for a committee. I think Givens can just do it. I think Stroke probably just fills in while Morrow's in the DL, and that'll yep. be at least a month. But it could be Carl Edwards. It could be Steve Ciszek, who gets ground balls. Cincinnati, just the other day, basically their manager, their new manager, David Bell, just said, Razel Iglesias essentially is going to be used like Sir Anthony Dominguez was last season. Yep. He may not get saves. He might pitch in the 7th and 8th, which is the right thing to do. It's the right and thing to do. It doesn't yeah. change a lot, though. 
It, it, oh, what do you mean? Iglesias might get 15 saves instead of 30. But if you look at the Reds' usage among relievers last year, Iglesias was used in the way that David Bell is hinting. So I, I think to your point, we could be shaving 10 saves off of his, off of his total, but he's going to give you the same volume. Maybe the you know maybe a slightly heightened number of innings is going to give him better ERA and WHIP to make up for those 10 saves. That's fair. I, that is fair. But I, I got to be honest with you. In some of the drafts that I've already done. I'm going to put, I'm without putting like Josh Hader on my do not draft list. And the reason why is twofold. One, I need to fill saves with my relief pitchers. Yep. I like to have like a structure of like six starters, three relievers. I'm not saying Josh Hader can't be great. A and B, I don't think he's going to be that great again. So he's going to end up on that do not draft list. I don't want to give it all away, but, and if I think Iglesias is going to end up with 15 saves rather than 30 to 35, well, I'm probably not going to take him. I'd rather take somebody worse who is going to get 30 saves. And the reason is, I I don't want to finish in 10th place in saves, but have the ERA strikeout help of Hayter, Iglesias, Dominguez. I need 30 saves out of this guy. That's what I'm saying. Right. And and that, by the way, I mean, this varies a lot based on the context of your league. I mentioned so many times that in the leagues that give you daily lineup transaction flexibility and have starts caps, especially, you can fill in relief pitchers around those and maximize the value of a guy like Josh Hader. And that's why a lot of times I see him getting and why I give him a good ranking is because I think you can maximize Josh Hader's usage in most leagues. Now, in, you know, a shallow, basic weekly rotisserie league, yeah, I agree with you. You've got to fill saves, and you need to get quality arms. And the fact that a lot of these bullpens are going in that direction is a problem. I love the Brewers' three guys that they could have closing games on any given night. I love them. They're great pitchers. But the volume of saves has an impact. I don't think Hayter gets the double-digit saves. Do you think I, any I of them do? Well, somebody has to. I think Knable is, th- is probably their closer, again, just like he was two seasons ago. Jeffers pitches the eighth. Hayter can be used from the sixth to the eighth. I, I think that's what Milwaukee does. And maybe we'll see Iglesias and Dominguez each get 12 saves. I think David Robertson is getting a lot of saves. Yep. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to this in future uh, shows. And by the way, um, our next show will be a week from today on Wednesday, March 6th. And after that, we will go Monday, Thursday, uh, hopefully through the rest of the season. All right, let's get to some other news. Um, five minutes after our last so many Machado signed with the Padres. Briefly, did you move him up? Did you move him down? Did you do nothing with his ranking? I actually moved him down three spots overall, which is negligible. I mean, we're talking about less than a dollar's impact in any auction format. Uh, and it's just simply that he is going to a ballpark that does grade a little bit worse than Camden Yards, where he had played the majority of his career. It's as, as simple as that. But I really like what this does for him on uh, from the long-term perspective. I might actually rank him the same or slightly better in a dynasty format. I said the same thing. And then when we did our mock draft that later that day, I didn't do it. I actually drafted him 11th. And the reason why is because I still, and I wanted to move him down in my rankings, but when push came to shove, I still liked him better than the players I would have moved ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So that mock draft actually was, was important for my ranking. And then I moved him and I left him alone. I think, mean, cause it's all about feel, you know, you're right. doing a draft and you're like, push comes to shove. Would I take Javier Baez or Manny Machado? And I turned out I took Machado. And I agree with you on that. Uh, I mean, bearing in mind that I was pretty pro Machado coming into the offseason, I, I kind of tempered the, the very optimistic rank I had at the point he, he declared free agency. <laughs> so we're I'm about the same spot. I'm 13th. You took him 11th. Yeah. I'm right in the same ballpark as you. Machado's currently going San Diego. ahead of Trey Turner. You like that? No. <laughs> 
I mean, obviously, Machado's a better player than Trey Turner, but Trey Turner could steal 60, 70 bases. What do you think's the likelihood of that happening, by the way? I, I don't think it seems, it doesn't seem very likely to me that anybody's going to steal 60 bases anytime soon. It's very unusual that Dave Martinez, the manager, would say something like this, that they want him to attempt 75 to 80 stolen bases. I mean, why would you give away the strategy? I do think that if there's any player in the majors who could do this based on his likelihood of getting on base at a good rate and his raw speed. By the way, his raw speed grades as some of the best in the majors. We're talking about one of the 10 best players on any roster out there, at least among viable major league regulars. I, I just I can't project him for that. I think if we get 50-plus steals from Trey Turner, we've got to be very happy, and I think there's a good chance he's going to get there. That's why he's in my first round. That's why he's my number one shortstop. All right, yeah, on Tuesday, Nolan Arenado signed an extension to stay with the Colorado Rockies, which is big in fantasy if you have him in a dynasty format because we want him in Coors Field. We don't want him in San Diego or Los Angeles, either one. Like, we want him playing in Coors Field where the numbers are just ridiculous. Your dynasty top 300 rankings came out on Monday now that you know Arenado is staying, would you move him up? I'm trying to see where you had him ranked. Mm-hmm. Um, I had him 12th, and this was one of the things I was thinking quite a bit about. Uh, of anybody in my top 25, I was unsure about what Arenado's future beyond this year was because of free agency. And I tempered the ranking a little bit. I could make you the case he does belong at 10, which puts him back ahead of Trey Turner, ahead of Andrew Benintendi. I, I, I feel like it's a slight bump for him. You know, briefly, let's discuss the email exchange we had when you sent me the raw top 300 dynasty rankings. And my, one of my first uh, replies was about Kristen Yelich, who yep. I traded for in one of our big leagues. And but I thought my, my feeling on Yelich is he's also on my like bust list for first round because I don't see him hitting 35 home runs again. I see him hitting like 25. And I still think he's great and a five category producer. He'll still bases about 300. But I think that fly ball rate in the second half last year was just ridiculous. Nobody could do that again. Why would you have Yelich ahead of Arenado if you kind of agree with me that the power is going to drop? Um, part of it is that he fills categories in a more balanced fashion of these two. Uh, and I don't like I, I do have an issue with the fact that Arenado's road splits are not great. So I do think there's a little bit of a, an ability in a shallow league that you can mix and match a bit. I, I don't think it's going to happen very often. But if I have to nitpick, that'd be one direction I go. I, I was I'm with you on Yelich on this. He can't possibly sustain the numbers last year. I had somebody you know, point out that, that he had himself talked about regression and everybody talks about regression. Regression is not a bad word. But it is still a true word, and it's going to have an impact on him. The guy had two key numbers here, a 53% ground ball rate last year. That's not a big, you know, power-encouraging uh, number. I need him to get more lift on the ball even than he had last season. And the other one is the 22% homer-to-fly ball rate, which was the major league leading number. And by the way, in the second half, it was 26%. It's going to come back to earth a little bit, and he's going to give back some of the home runs. But I think in exchange, he's got decent speed, reach, reads pitchers well, feels... Uh, uh, Phil's stolen bases. That's kind of why I'm still pro Yelich. That's fair. That's all fair. And I I moved him out of my top ten, but but like he's like number eleven, something like that. Um, Bryce Harper still has not signed. If he goes to the Phillies, we like him. Obviously, Hitters Park. If he goes to the Dodgers or Giants, do we move him in the other way or do we leave him alone? 
Uh, I actually would not move him down if he signed with the Dodgers just because uh, there's a couple reasons for this. One is that the lineup is strong enough that it's going to boost the run and RBI potential. The other is actually Dodgers Stadium, the last I had checked, did not have a bad home run factor for lefties. And as a matter of fact, digging it up past five seasons, I'll have park factors out, by the way, in the next several days. Uh, they were, it was the sixth best ballpark for home runs for left-handed batters. This is something that came up with Yasmani Grandal when he went over to the Dodgers. I remember I, I felt like that was a good uh, good look for him. Uh, if he goes to the Giants, eh, that I don't like. I, I want to get your perspective on this. If he does go to the Giants, I don't like that. Short term, not a great lineup around him. The other is wow. it's the worst ballpark in baseball yes. for left-handed power. Worst, by far. Ask Brandon Belt how he feels about hitting at home games. Yeah. Um Hopefully this will – look, if he just doesn't want to play in Philadelphia, then he just doesn't want to play in Philadelphia. That might be the problem. Um, moving on, and if he doesn't sign with the Phillies, man, I will not be a fan. I might not say his name. I'm going to hide from long. you for a month after that because I oh, I feel I do feel you know bad what? if he doesn't. But I was tweeting with somebody, a friend of mine, and I said, is, is it worth an extra $35 million a year to upgrade Nick Williams to Bryce Harper? Would you do that in a fantasy league? You wouldn't. Like, I'm just, like, I, it, say Nick Williams goes 18-65 and bats 270, okay? And say Bryce Harper doubles the homers and, you know, uh, first of all, he's not a batting average guy. Like, you would not, in a fantasy league, pay that increase that in real life Bryce Harper's going to get. You wouldn't do it. it. You'd be like, okay, Nick Williams my fifth outfitter, that's good enough. Harper's an upgrade, nobody's arguing that he's not. But you wouldn't do that, would you? I a little of me is going to disagree with you because there are cases in dynasty keeper leagues, which is what's relevant here in this this debate, that the inflation rate would push Harper up to being worth the price. But from a, a pure bang for the buck perspective, I get where you're going at here. I, I just I feel like at this this point, from a baseball perspective, does it really matter what the difference is between paying the three twenty five or whatever it is or three forty five? Does it really no. matter over ten years with that? Is he still a much he, better player than, than Nick Williams? Uh, nobody can. Of course he is. Obviously he is. And of course I want him on my team. It makes my team better. But, man, this is a joke. Um, speaking of jokes, so you and I have a very big, a large disparity on our rankings for Byron Buxton. And honestly, this is not because Buxton started his spring training with a 5-for-5, five 2 five, home runs, and 10 RBI. It's because I started to look deeper into this. And I wrote an article that went out, I don't know, yesterday, today, about mm-hmm. bounce-back players and Buxton leads the list for me because a year ago, I think it's pretty safe to say that most of us liked him and thought, wow, that big September in 2017, the future is limitless. He could do amazing things here. The way I ranked at Alberto Mondesi, I'm not expecting a superstar. All right. I just think the basic numbers are good enough to make him a top 100 guy. Why can't Buxton do that? He already did that two years ago. So I made the argument, and people should read it anyway, that to me, Byron Buxton is actually a pretty decent guy to take a chance on in the middle rounds, depending on what else you have around him on your team. Not because he's off to a great start this spring, but because a year ago we loved him. What changed? He had an injury-riddled year. Now you tell me why that's bad. The spring stuff doesn't matter other than it's nice to see him doing something positive, and I want to see that continue. Um, 
So the problem with Buxton is this. I, I see so much potential in him. He is the fastest player in the in the game. If you look at things like StatCast sprint speed, he is number one in the game, period. He is the fastest guy out there. That helps him especially for defense, which is going to prop up his amount of playing time. If you want to criticize him for the limited playing time last year and not getting called up late in the year, that was on the Twins, and that was about manipulating service time. So I don't take that as a negative on Byron Buxton. The problem is when he has been in the majors, he's dealt with injuries, and frankly, he's had a good half season. When you mentioned, you know, two years ago, no, it was, it was half of two years ago that was good, and it was one month of September, I believe, either a year or two years before that. So in, I, I think, parts of either either four or five major league years, he's had a good half year and a good month of September against weaker pitching when they had the 40-man rosters. But I still see so much to like in terms of the steals. If the guy's a, ma- a regular major leaguer in center field and his defense props us up, he could still steal you at 30, 40 bases. He'll play enough for that. And he does have the pop to get to 12 to 15 home runs. I, I rank him, I-, I feel like I rank him well considering the recent history. Where, where do you I have think him? You rank him? You rank him poorly. I, I have him like 50 spots ahead of you because the numbers, and it's, it, it's, it's kind of the modesty argument, the numbers I think he can get would make him a far better option than where you have him ranked overall. The, so. Mondesi's an interesting comparison point, though, because so when we talk about role versus skills, I think Buxton is a superior baseball player. I think well, that, he's, a, he's a dominant defensive defensive player. Exactly, but they're both fast. Buxton has a little bit better. Well, you and I have better plate discipline. The problem here is Buxton's going to bat ninth, as he should. The twin, Twins have a good deep lineup now. They've really done some nice things, yep. assuming Kepler and Sano hit and Cruz stays healthy. Um, I mean, we, I don't want to get too much into this. My point is. Why not take a chance on Buxton in the middle rounds? You have him in round 19. Why not take a chance on a guy with huge upside who just had a bad year? Maybe he just can't stay healthy ever. But if he were to play 130 games and bat 250 with 15 homers and 30 steals, that's a bargain. Oh yeah, he'd be a. I mean, he'd be a huge bargain. And I well, could he already see... did that. He did that two years ago. He did that's do that my two years. Yeah, and, and it's a, an absolutely fair point, and I want to embrace that upside. I'm a very big Byron Buxton fan. You know, I've got a couple of shares of him. Right. I was just having a huge debate in my Keeper League about him where I have him at a minimum salary, and I'm thrilled with that. And then I had somebody question why would I keep him because of all the the issues. I'm trying not to ignore that there are negatives with Byron Buxton. I mean, he's missed a lot of time. He's had injuries, and the larger part of the career has been negative. It's a shame. It is is a shame. Uh, lightning round. Josh Harrison to the Tigers. Do you care? Is, is he someone you would consider in the late rounds or no? He'll play a lot. That helps. Uh, the the big impact for me was just Nico Goodrum being bounced back to utility. That's going to also, by the way, have an impact at DH on guys like John Hicks, catcher eligible, etc. Um, the recovery for Corey Seager, Buster Posey, positives, negatives, anything you've seen that. I rank Seager far worse than you. Yep. And not only because of the injury problems, but also I don't, I don't think a middle infielder hitting 23 home runs and knocking in 70 is that big a deal anymore. It might have was a bigger deal two years ago when he did it. Um, but your thoughts on Seager and Posey? Seager's was more of a positive development. Posey's was a little more negative just because this is pushing back the, the his spring debut. He's going to be debuting at some point in the middle of March. So I do worry about what this injury is going to have and uh, an impact in terms of his of, of the power numbers. I've I've kind of inched Posey back in my rankings. Uh, Seager, it's kind of a leap of faith in terms of my rankings. I, I liked the metrics I saw. I felt he was a very consistent, likely to hit his projection player before these injuries two years ago. And so far, so good with the, the injury prognosis. I feel like I want to just get back on board. It's, it's sort of a gut pick. 
Marwin Gonzalez is a twin now. Would you draft him over Jonathan Scope and Miguel Sano? Because I think those are the two spots he ends up playing. Yeah, I I think that Sano. I, I'm a little bit more concerned about Sano, the impact on Sano's playing time. Uh, you it's don't also, like Sano. You you ranked. I ranked Sano a lot better than you did as well. Sano is not. It's not hard to get what Sano provides you. That's the main thing I don't like. I mean, I think he's he's got great raw power, but he he just. What he provides you, you can fill elsewhere. Um, he could hit 40 home runs, Tristan. Come on. He could, he could do that. And he, he also had some injuries last year. He also has oh, yeah. some Oh, yeah. This is a key streets. year for him. I mean, key year. I want to be um, on board with you. I don't like him at third base. I think the guy should be a natural DH playing every day, and they don't have that spot. Gonzalez, do I take him over Sano? I, I think it's pretty close. It would be – it'd have to be the context of my draft where I was at. Tristan, you have Funny six gray. spots. I'm sorry, Eric. You've got six that- spots between Sano and Buxton. If that comes down to a decision, who, who are you taking? Uh, it, it I, I take Buxton. Team need. Yeah, but you have Buxton in round 19 and Sano in like later. So you're not getting either one of them. Well, I have Sano <laughs> at 182 and I have Buxton at 188. I, I mean, they're right, they're right near each other. One of those guys. But when I'm looking at it from a raw perspective, you're throwing me no, any, in any context, anything. I'm, I'm almost always going to go with the Steels guy. Okay. Um, last one, Sonny Gray. I just crossed him off my list. And I could see that. I don't want to panic about that yet, but yeah, I could see that. All right. Well, don't cross the rest of the show off your list because coming up after this, we have a huge announcement and then the many hash browns. Uh, the soothing tones yeah. of the second half of the show. So what's so this Kyle, rumored announcement? What's happening? I want to hear this. Yeah, what's, what's going on? I'm excited. What's going on? Yeah, we'll get to the hash browns in a minute, but we've heard everybody on Twitter, everybody everywhere wants to play in a league with you guys. So we're going to do that. We're going to bring back the listener league, but it's going to be a little different this year. We're going to make it vampire style. Yeah. For those not familiar, vampire league, one team, which will be the podcast team, does not draft at all. We don't draft a single player. We make up a team comprised strictly of free agents, guys you don't want. The garbage you're not willing to draft. We're putting on a team, and then we're going to beat you with those guys just to make you feel better about yourself. So it'll be 10 listeners. Eric's going to have a team, and then we as a podcast will have a team. And we're going to play out of Vampire League. We want your submissions. Tweet me at Kyle Sapi ESPN. Use the hashtag Vampire06010. Tell me why you want to be in the league, why you're going to beat us, anything. Why you deserve to be in the league. One tweet, though. I'm not going through... You know, threads on threads on threads here. I, I got limited time. You don't like the little notepad photo? No, yeah, we're not doing it? that either. Like, stick with the character limit. Don't, Too many characters, don't circumvent period. that. Yeah, Although that's a good I way to say, get ruled out. I would say that a meme in photo form might sure, do good. That, that's yeah. under the character limit. Anything funny, anything yeah. you want to pass on, you get one shot at it, though. Knock our socks off, right? <laughs> say that again? You should, Knock our socks off. Yeah, bring it on. I like you it. You should explain what a vampire is like what a va- like a vampire right. fantasy league is because a lot of people might not have listened to got the football the, show and they don't so know so after he's got we, the fangs you know with the blood and the stuff yeah, and, yeah. it's we keep it pg there's we'll, so we'll have our free agent team and then we play it's gonna be a head-to-head league so when we play let's say eric in week one and he's got mike trout if we were to beat his team we can trade any player from our active roster for any player from his active roster yep that's the penalty of losing to the vampire team i love it you lose your best player. And so we play out the season like that. If we lose, nothing happens because, in theory, you don't want anybody on our team anyway. And so that's that's how a Vampire League works. Like the it. Every other matchup goes as as normal. Nothing changes there. 
Like I said, head-to-head, it'll be standard ESPN scoring. Be very simple. So does this mean in week one that he's Kara Buffy, the uh, Vampire Slayer? Oh. I think we have a team name. You can't manipulate the schedule so that I play you in week one. We're going to play you every week, Eric. And just so we have (laughs) podcast fodder, we're going to take all your players. Eric should get the number one pick. We'll play him in week one. I can't imagine how this is going to go. And he's going to have to take Bryce Hopper to Philly. When when is the draft going to be? Because that, that that you know somebody might not apply for the league if they can't make the right. Draft. You can only apply if you're going to be at the draft, which is why we're giving you plenty of time. Cancel your plans, whatever you're doing. Monday, March 11th, eight o'clock Eastern Standard Time, PM. PM. We will be holding the draft. It'll be Tristan will be. We'll all be watching, but Eric will be drafting. So he and ten listeners. Try. I'll be trying to win, whereas you will take automatically. The worst players that you couldn't possibly use, and then when the draft is over, switch them out for actual free agents. Right. Yeah. Let's like say nobody right. drafts Neil Walker. You could pick him up, right? And then or all the Marlins if you want, and then we start the season. So, so. pretty much it's okay. twelve. It's twelve teams. So two hundred and seventy. Well, no, no, because that other team wouldn't be taken. So it'd be two hundred and fifty-two players. I think it taken first. So we would have to. We would have to take players who are available after the two hundred and fifty-second pick. Yeah, and this is fun. And on the football show, Matthew actually made the playoffs with that football team, didn't he? He did. He he made the playoffs. It's football's a little different. I think it's going to take a little building up in baseball, but we'll see. It it it's a fun concept and love it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, and it gives Kyle, us a what's, chance. What's our deadline deep. for the for getting in the tweets? The hash use the hashtag vampire oh six oh one zero tweet at me Kyle Sapi ESPN. And we'll make it happen. We'll have the league, and we'll let you know on the next podcast. But I'll be choosing them this weekend. So get them in sooner than later. Get, get creative, yeah. All right. Um, let's get to some of the questions for this week. Yeah, we'll get to the hash browns. So now we're going to help you beat us in this Vampire League. So Zach wants to know, Tristan, you have been attendee listed at 11 in your Dynasty rank. Zach has him in a Keeper League, and he wants to buy him as an elite talent, but he's having trouble. Can you convince him on Ben attendee as a Dynasty cornerstone? Yeah, and, and Ben Attendi, since we mentioned Yelich earlier on the show, I feel like there's a little bit of a future like that where he has the balanced categories and that stays for the majority of his career. Um, I, I've been waffling a little bit on Ben Attendi in terms of redraft versus keeper leagues because I feel like for this year, he's kind of in a spins-his-wheels state, but the potential is so great. He's still very young. He's got decent pop. He's got decent speed. He does a lot of things well. Not a lot of parts of his game that I'd like to criticize, other than just other than just he didn't have a very impressive second half. That's all. All right, Eric, would you I, take I, Ben Attendee top fifteen in Dynasty? Yeah, I, I have Ben Attendee and Yelich as the same player. I, I think Ben Attendee is going to develop more power as time goes on. I think he's going to be better than Yelich in the long term. I could see that. I think he could I mean, be better. Look, this we year. loved Yelich a year ago. Whoa, okay? it's not like Yelich. We, we loved, we had him in the third round, okay? I'm just, I'm saying, what changed? He had a Chase Headley second half. I'm not saying he's Chase Headley, but he had a, he had that kind of a second half, yeah. and now he's a top 10 player. I just, I can't do it. And Kyle, I have him close. Kyle, but, you're, st- say that again? I think it's possible Ben Attendee catches him this year. I do too. I, I actually do too. I really do, Tristan. I mean, again, Yelich is, Yelich might like lead my do not draft list if you have to spend the eighth pick to get him. I can't do it. Okay. On raw talent, I don't find that completely inconceivable, but all of the numbers right now suggest that that's crazy talk. 
that, that Ben Intendi is better no, than Yelich this year. Yeah, no, they don't because yeah. we, you know, he's going to drop ten home runs off that. Well, well that's what Ted Ben Intendi's doing. I'd say, yeah, it's very likely he would, but in that ballpark, it gives him the best chance at a high homer to fly ball rate. So I, I mean, there's going to be a regression, but is a regression down to 28 homers or is a regression down to 22 homers? There's a huge difference there. So according to ESPN's projections, we have Yelich projected for 25 home runs and Ben Intendi for 17. If I told you those projections were true, except that Ben Intendi got 10 more homers, which is incredibly feasible for modern baseball, like that's, I think that's where this is more conceivable is that a projectable outcome for Yelich is mid twenties and it's a reasonable outcome, but maybe not projectable for Benintendi. Now, what makes you say that adding 10 homers to Benintendi is that projectable? No, no, no. That's what I mean. It's not projectable. It's feasible. It's, it's within, but what makes it feasible? Because he's a developing player and it, he's in major league baseball where the ball goes over the fence a lot. Okay. But now. <laughs> Working against him is that he's in a much worse ballpark situation for left-handed power than Christian no, Yelich is. Right. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying it's it's within like 80th or like the 80 percentile in the middle. Like I'm not saying that it's it's likely. I'm just saying that would you be absolutely shocked if Andrew Benintendi hit 28 home runs? No. Okay, that's kind of what I'm saying. I don't think it's I don't think it's a high problem. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't think draft him for it. I wouldn't draft him for it for sure. Right. Yeah. I want to see him get – I mean, it's the same problem. He went back to the ground ball ways. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he was going the wrong direction there. Like I was saying, Yelich needs to go in the right direction. They both have got to improve. Yep. We're going to revisit this plenty, I think. All right, we got Lars. It's his first season doing an auction league, 10-team, 5x5. Five five. He wants to, you to describe your general strategy entering an auction room for the first time. Well, Tristan and I will be entering auction rooms this weekend yeah. <laughs> when we – in the uh, League of Alternative Baseball Reality, that's Labor. He's in the AL. That's a 12-team, right? And yep. Um, NL, also a 12-team. So, I mean, it's a lot harder to do a 12-team NL than a 10-team mixed. But, um, Tristan, what's your general strategy? Obviously, we know the people in the room. We know some some of their traditions and what they like to do. But, um, you know, you could build a team of stars and scrubs. You could say you're not going to spend $30 for any player and do a balance thing. You could stick to like $175 for hitters and the rest for pitchers, or you could break that. How do you do it? Because you do very well in these auction formats. I I do well, but I don't win. You do well and win. You, you know what rule number one is? Be prepared. And, and I'm not joking here. I mean, there are a lot of people who hear that advice and they don't pay attention to it. And then they show up with a stupid magazine that's four months old with old auction values that are not appropriate for their league. And then they just wing it. And I'm sorry, you're at a disadvantage. Be prepared. Have a cheat sheet ready for your league. That's why we have so many up in the draft kit. Go and find the one for your league. Um, be prepared to strike at any given moment in an auction. The good values could come with the first player or the 20th player or at the very end of the auction. Anybody who tells you, oh, yeah, don't show up for the first hour. There's no bargains. <clears throat> yeah, right. I mean, everybody's read that, that that kind of change. I mean, people zig where, they, where others zag. That's just how this stuff works. And the other one, too, is that the shallower your league is. So, Eric, you and I are in the AL and the NL only leagues. And I know you're in the mixed Tout Wars League, which is a 15-teamer mixed league. I tend to find in the mixed leagues and the leagues that are more shallow, it is better to spend the premiums for the elite players and then try to fill in at the back end either with cheap bids at a dollar or via free agency during the year because the free agency pool is much deeper. That's fair. Um, 
you know, I've been in a couple, I, I don't know how many years I've done it, maybe 10 years I've done labor and L. And in a couple of the auctions, halfway through the auction, I panicked and said, I just don't have enough good players. And now I have to start overspending on average players. So I do like to get a star or two early on. Um, I'd like to make sure I have saves and stolen bases. You don't want to be chasing that later on and have to spend an extra $10 on somebody like Malik Smith, who's good, but isn't deserving of, like, say, $30. Yep. In an auction. You um, had a guy like that in the NL in labor. There, remember, we were talking about this. A Steels guy went for an, a crazy high price. It was like a, a mediocre middle infielder. Um, yes. I can't remember who it was, but I, I overspent for stolen bases last year because I just... It's not that I wasn't prepared. It's just I didn't like the prices on any of the Steels guys, so I wasn't bidding on them. And then I, I looked at my list. I was like, there's no Steels guys left. And you're stuck, you know... Spending, you know, an extra $5 on Cesar Hernandez, who doesn't run enough. So, yeah, I'll be active. I, I want to say I might be active early because I want to make sure I get a good base of some talent. And um, and then take it from there. Yeah, the, one thing I've noticed real quick, uh, because I was in this person's shoes relatively recently. I only did my first auction draft three years ago. Um, and uh, for, for baseball in particular. Uh, I've actually noticed psychologically that you can get bargains early because it's once you get to the end of tiers that psychologically people start to throw out a little extra cash um a lot of times like you'll find that harper and uh or sorry uh trout and bets will go for different prices because they were nominated one first and one 15th uh and a lot of times the one who goes first goes cheaper um but also like you said like be prepared that you have to trust that number if you think trout's worth 55 and it's just you and one other person going 41, 42, 43, 44. Be prepared to go to 55 because if no one else does, that means that you hit the number that you trust. So but especially early Let me, let me add on. this major difference between Tristan and I when we come to auctions. I'm willing to overspend if I want a player. Like, I'm not saying he's not, but I'm far more likely. If he grades, if he grades D Gordon at $23 and the Gordon bidding is up to 25 or 26, he's not going to keep going. I'm more likely to do that. Me too. And it, it's not necessarily because, you know, stolen bases are scarce and you have to get them. It's just, if I really want Anthony Rendon, I'll go the extra dollar or two. Um, Tristan, I know sometimes you will, but you, when you have your spreadsheet, your magical spreadsheet, and you're like, this guy is this much money, sometimes, sometimes you just won't go over it. But that's the thing. I mean, I, I bring the spreadsheet, which I, I've, I've written about this before, has, I mean, I mean, it's got ridiculous detail that I collect over the course of the winter, and I'll put notes for guys that I'm going to make a more aggressive bid on. If you're coming in with a more basic cheat sheet, which there's nothing wrong with that. If you have simply a pricing list, there's nothing wrong with that. You're much more likely to be flexible. And I can respect that strategy. But for me, it's kind of like if I'm going to spend all this time, if I'm going to spend an hour deciding whether Mike Trout is really a, a $46.38 player versus a $47.75 player, I'm going to stick to that number. Because I put a lot of investment in it in the first place. That's why I kind of stick to this. I do think I'm going to be a little bit more flexible this season, though. I do. All right. What's next? All right. Physio guy Rye wants to know what realistic expectations for Victor Robles are this year, both from a playing time standpoint and expectations for counting numbers in those at-bats. Rookie of the year in the National League. Put it on the and board. We didn't get Over. to this. <laughs> we didn't get to this in the first half of the show, but Vlad Guerrero... Now I am concerned because who, was, that, was that the GM who said he, yeah. he's not ready for the majors because he's only 19? Like as if he's only not ready because he's 19. If he was 20, he'd be ready. That's ridiculous. Yeah. If you're going to keep Vlad in the minors for two weeks, I don't care. No big deal. 
It's a DL stint or an IR stint now. They changed it to injured reserve. Yep. But if you're going to keep him in the minors for half the season when needlessly, it's a joke. It's just a joke. Fernando Tatis, same thing. Robles is winning the center field job, assuming the Nationals don't re-sign Harper, which they're not. I project Robles at like 12 homers and 32 steals and a decent batting average. So to me, that's like what we're saying about Montesi and Buxton. But I'm almost more sure about Robles, aren't you? And I think that's fair. Now, I mean, Robles has also had some injuries, but... I feel like he's a little bit more complete hitter than Byron Buxton, which gives him an advantage that Buxton doesn't have. Buxton just uh, doesn't make contact. So I kind of like where you're going in terms of the, the player comps. I just think he's a little bit safer in terms of batting average, and maybe the pop's not quite as good as Buxton's. They might be comparable. Um, I'm with you. I think he's just, he is going to play. I mean, I, I think he'd have to have a disastrous spring not to be the starting center fielder. I don't see Harper returning. I see there being no way of that. And I like the categorical balance. I, I think Robles is a very underrated player in my top 150 overall, and maybe I'm underranking him. I think you are. I have him closer to the top 100. Um, I, I think what, what's happening here is that I'm moving up the, the stolen base options a lot more than you do. Um, and and, <laughs> and I just over... moved VR up like 15 more spots last night. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Why am I? So I'm, Maybe I'm not necessarily overrating these stolen base options. It's just that I've been in a couple of drafts and I'm like, there's not enough stolen bases. I don't want Billy Hamilton. I really don't want D. Gordon where he's going. I'm mm-hmm. okay with VR where he's going. I love Robles where he's going. You have Ian Desmond ranked ahead of Victor Robles. I'm okay with that because at least I feel pretty good he'll play enough to steal 20 bases. Right. And, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot. I mean, he might hit 20 home runs and kill your batting average, but there's just not enough stolen bases out there. So, in a general sense, I've got the stolen base guys ranked ahead of you. I hate leaving a draft or auction knowing yeah. I do not have enough steals, yep. saves, homers, strikeouts. It just it's a terrible feeling. Yeah, but I like you like you like the balance, and I I totally get that. Where did you move Guerrero down at all based on the news? No, not yet. I don't want to because I still think that it can't be right. Like it just he can't mean if Vlad Guerrero's in the minor leagues in July. I mean, come on. That's, I mean, look, it's just a baseball thing. It's not criminal or anything like that, but it's, 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 right. it's ridiculous. I mean, he can say, the GM could say whatever he wants. I mean, it's an excuse placed for a label to, to start the year in AAA. And it really doesn't matter what the explanation is. I, I still think he's up in the second week of April. I think, I think he's, he's down there for like two weeks. That's it. Yeah. That's I, I, I think, I think the only change for me is that it's more than two weeks if he's ordinary in the first two weeks in AAA. Then they will just say, oh, I'm going to buy another week or two. Yeah. He, Otherwise, he I'm totally with him. Yeah. Um, I'll agree with that. But I'll be honest, like, in the drafts I've done, I won't take Vlad in round three or four if my first couple picks are injury risks or if I have a pitcher, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, it, it right. kind of depends a little bit on, on what the basis of my, what the rocks on my team are. Right. That's, like, that has I'm not a huge bearing. Kershaw. And Vlad, that's too, that's already too much risk. I had, um, and, and I mean, this is, I guess I'm throwing in a, another question here, really, for, for hash browns, but I got tweeted about the Clayton Kershaw ranking, and it was that if I don't even feel conf, uh, confident and comfortable in taking him as my number 20 starting pitcher, why rank him there? Rank him where I'm going to take him. Well, right now, to be honest with you, I don't want to draft him at all, but I can't just delete Clayton Kershaw from my sheet because that's, that's not realistic and it's not helpful. 
But it's a good point, though. If I'm not going to take Christian Yelich where I rank him, then why do I rank him there? Because aren't there a couple of days where a situation is fluid and you genuinely don't know where to place the player and you've got to have him from a rankings perspective. I've got to have him from a cheat sheet perspective where I think he'd be. You know, yeah, we, we, we go through that with quarterbacks in fantasy football. I'm not taking Aaron Rodgers in round three. Just but you're in, you're, so you're in labor at L. We're probably not going to get an answer before Sunday. So his ranking, his price is going to remain oh, I'm fluid. I'm not bidding on Kershaw. I'm, not, I'm just not going to bid on Kershaw at and all. And if he stops frankly, at five, you're going to pass? No, of course not. But he's going to go for like at least 25. You know that. Come on. I'm not so sure. I think that of any player right now, his is the most likely to be a variable price. And the problem I have today is we have to place a specific sale price on him. Last it's, year, David Price was me. the guy. Do you remember it's what happened with David Price? Yes, it was. David but Price it, it, sold for... It's too much risk. You know, it's the same reason why I didn't, I'm not, I didn't bid on Jake Arrieta and Labor NL last year. And then two days later, a guy, you know, a guy we know well had him at a good price, even though he didn't have a good season. He actually probably lost money on that. But at the time, we thought, wow, that's a bargain. Mm-hmm. David Price I, I actually, wa- two years ago, it was. It was 2017. He sold for $14. Did he earn more than that, though? He earned $3.35. That's the, yeah, he was worse. So, like, there's risk here for for numbers, too, not yeah. just health. Yeah. And, I, I mean, to, to, be, to be clear, I was bailing out at $6 on David Price that year. I remember at the table thinking that was the price I had on him. Kershaw might be 8 for me by Sunday. He might be I've, uh, 22. I don't, think I've ever, I don't think I've ever even bid on Kershaw in NL Labor. I just I know I'm not going to get him. I, I, I don't want to take that chance. I'll bid on Scherzer. You know, I will. But there's a scenario by which, based on what you got and when Kershaw comes out in the auction, let's say it's late and you feel really good about the eight players you've already bought and Kershaw stalls at 10 bucks. Aren't you going to think about it? I'll think about it, but I can't imagine that's going to happen. Uh, I can't either. Another another question in here. What else we got? Sure. Shane wants to know if you have any interest in Oledmus Diaz in deeper formats this year. Not really. <laughs> I mean, the problem is we already know he's the Marwin Gonzalez, except I think he'll play less. Right? I mean, they got a starting infield and he ain't in it. So how is he how do we know Aledmus Diaz is gonna bat three hundred times? I don't think we know that. I, I happen to like Tyler White. I think Bregman will stay healthy, I think Correa healthy enough, Altuve, they have an outfield now. He is a he is a Zobris Marwin Gonzalez type who can play other spots, but in this case, I worry he doesn't get more than 300 at bats. And I think that's fair, and I like that you brought up White because that's the very first thing I thought of. Is that who do you like better? A lot White? of people do not like Tyler White. Yeah, I, I mean, it's difficult to see how they're going to shake out the first base DH and, you know, left field positions. So I guess playing time's a little bit of a question. I kind of like Tyler White, I don't love him though. I like him better than Miss Diaz by a lot. Uh, frankly, I think Diaz is there not so much for Marwin. I think he's the only part that, that compares to Marwin is that they're going to use him at second, third, and short like they did with Marwin. But he's the emergency backup for injuries to Jose Altuve with the slight injuries he had last year. Carlos Correa, the same at shortstop. Bregman at third if he doesn't, if he's not ready for opening day and, you know, the worst case scenario. I, I just, I've got him a $3 AL only player. So that's, that sounds about right. Okay. What else? Anything else? We got one more question here. You guys have spent a lot of time on Buxton today, saying you've seen it from him before. He's had a good season. Eric, you've got 
and Tristan for that matter, you've got roughly 50 spots between Eloy Jimenez and Buxton. If I told you you had five, six rounds between the two, who are you picking? Um, you gotta tell us the direction. Just so you've got a balanced team, you're looking for speed, obviously after, you know, the, 10 the rounds. The order the I'm players. Buxton. Like, well, which, I mean, which is the one both going available first? in round 15? I'm taking Eloy's, Buxton. Eloy's going, you guys both have them ranked roughly five rounds earlier. So which bargain do you like more, Eloy or five rounds later for Buxton? Buxton. As a bargain. I mean, and I, I wrote before the Kershaw thing on Monday that Bumgarner is a better value pick than Kershaw. I'm not saying I love Bumgarner, but he's a better value pick. And then obviously the news came out that made it even greater. I don't know if Eloy's playing in April. It might be July. Yeah. I, I want to take a chance because if, look, if Buxton, if Buxton didn't steal bases, I wouldn't be arguing for him, but I think he can. I think he can steal 30 bases. So it's ultimately for me too. I priced it at $3 difference in an AL only league. But there's a lot more risk of, of lack of playing time. Well, I don't know if it's a lot. I, there's there's greater risk that Jimenez doesn't get the plate appearance as Buxton does. Buxton's probably a better bargain. You know, if he if he didn't start off with a couple long home runs, we might not even be talking about this. But I feel like I would have anyway. But, you know, I can't say for sure. I just – when I look back at last year's ADP, you know, and Leo knows this. That's why I wrote the story today. I, I, I what What changed? What changed with this guy? Nothing. Why all of a sudden do we not like him? Why is Chris Bryant going 30 spots later than he did last year? What changed? His shoulder's healthy now, I think. So what changed? That's my thinking. Right. And with Buxton, it's the same thinking. What changed? Lost season. It, assuming health, which you can't with him. But Well, what anyway. did change for Buxton is that he made less contact on pitches in the strike zone. He batted 50 times in the majors, Tristan. That, I'm not taking what you just said as anything. He uh, he barely played. It could it could you, attach to the injury. I I'm not going to deny that. It could. I'm just saying you don't have enough of a sample size off of Byron Buxton's April last year to say anything. He batted 94 times. I I don't buy yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the fact that he missed all that time and dealt with the injuries is a negative. No, him. that's that's disconcerting. It's very disconcerting. Yeah. Look, this this ended up being the Byron Buxton show, and <laughs> I don't I don't think he's gonna. I don't know if he's going to be a top 100 fantasy option this season, but I think he could be. And I don't think enough people are thinking about it that way. We are done for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, like we said earlier, the Vampire League, get those uh, tweets in to Kyle. Um, our next show is next Wednesday. Maybe we'll announce who's on it in the league then. Uh, thank you so much to Kyle Soppy handling double duty as our producer and top researcher and to Leo Howell as well. And I want to have a shout out as well to our old producer, Anthony Kaladiud. Get well soon, buddy. We're rooting for you. That is all for today. Enjoy your baseball and spring training. We'll be back in a week and have an awesome weekend. Everything is awesome. Vampire. The theme song for the Fantasy Focus was created and performed by Eric Hutchinson. Check out more of his music at erichutchinson.com. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Focus. For more great podcasts, log on to the iTunes Music Store or Pod Center at ESPNRadio.com.